Hedging stock positions can be tricky business. One of the most common schools of thought is to use a simple protective put strategy whereby a stock investor would simply purchase a long out-of-the-money put option to act as insurance in case the stock fell. Sounds logical, but we're skeptics here at Option Alpha, so we went on the hunt to see what research and data says about the protective put strategy and its effectiveness in protecting or hedging stock positions. You're listening to the Option Alpha podcast from OptionAlpha.com, where we show you how to make smarter trades, learn how the stock market really works, and generate consistent monthly income. Now, your host and head trader at OptionAlpha.com, Kirk Duplessis. All right. Hey, everyone. This is Kirk here again from OptionAlpha.com, working every single week to make this the most popular investing podcast offered online because it's based on one thing and one thing only, and that's helping you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. So again, thank you so much for tuning in today. On today's show, number 176, we're going to go through some of the research that we found out there regarding the protective put strategy and its effectiveness in protecting underlying stock positions. Now, truth be told, we actually started and are literally in the process of continuing to do a little bit more research ourselves on long put option strategies, how you can use them, different parameters, which we'll test. And we'll get to one of those in a future show. We actually did post a little bit of a snippet of our research on our Facebook page, which we'll link to here in the show notes. But this research that we're talking about in today's show is some of the outside research that we found. And I feel like it's sometimes important to bring in some of these outside perspectives, because what I talk about often here at Option Alpha is that we do our own research just to verify and validate what we hear to be true or what theories are out there. But it's really good to get other perspectives from other people as well. If you don't believe what we do here at Option Alpha, or you don't trust that our research is in-depth enough, that it's always good to cover what other people do. And I thought the protected put strategy is something that I don't necessarily want to do a lot of testing on ourselves. We're doing long put option strategies as a systematic way of trading and seeing what we can find from there. But there's already a lot of research that was done previously by other firms. And so we're going to link up to those research reports in this show notes over at optionalpha.com slash show 176. But I want to kind of go through the gist of what we found out and kind of doing some digging and hunting around what data says about protective put strategies. So to set the stage for today's discussion, we've got to talk about why we would do this. And so you got to put yourself in the mindset of somebody who has a stock position and you're worried, maybe rightfully so, about the stock going down. Maybe you bought it a while back and have a decent gain. Maybe it's already gone down after you entered it. Or maybe you want to sell the position and you're thinking that you might want to hold on a little bit longer and you want to kind of lock in some of the gains that you potentially have right now. Or maybe it's even the start of a brand new position and you want to buy some insurance from day one just in case the position goes lower. So if you are a stock investor or if you have invested in stock before, you of course, know this conundrum that you find yourself in, which is that you don't want to give up the position in the stock and you want to keep a lot of this upside potential, but at the same time, you're not really sure how best to protect the downside risk in a stock position. And because generally stock positions require a lot more capital, this also means that you're forced to make some pretty hard decisions about how much money to put at risk and how tolerant you have to be with downside risk. So like any smart investor, you of course choose to protect and hedge your position. But the question becomes with what? How do you hedge your position? To me, I think there's really four choices. You can use a stop loss order, which for most people is the most automatic default thing to do. And you see a lot of people who are day traders, swing traders use stop loss orders because it's an easy way just to send a mental barrier at what point you will sell the stock or get out of the stock position. 
The problem with the stop loss order, as we've even seen with ETFs and indexes in the last couple months when markets were extremely volatile, is that markets can gap the next day and by a pretty wide margin. And so stop loss orders are great when you're trading very liquid products intraday, maybe even over the course of a couple of days, but you still have a lot of gap risk. And so that means that your loss can balloon pretty quickly if something changes between yesterday and today. The other way that you can do it is with a protective put option. So we'll talk about this more in this podcast, but a protective put strategy is simply going out and buying a long out of the money or long at the money put option on the stock that you're trading. And basically this acts as insurance so that if the stock starts to go down, then the insurance contract, the put option kicks in and starts to protect some of the gains below a certain strike price. Now, the trouble with insurance is it obviously costs money. You have to time it. You have to figure out how long you want protection for and at what strike price. At what price do you feel you're confident taking enough of the risk and where do you want the insurance contract to kick in? The third way that you can do this is with a put spread. So a lot of times what people will do is instead of just outright buying a put option, which costs a lot of money, they will use a put spread. And a put spread is a long put option followed by a short put option at a lower strike price. And the idea is that instead of using all of your capital to buy the long put, you're going to offset the cost somewhat by selling a put at a lower strike price. And this results in a net debit still out of your account, still costs you money, but the amount of cost out of your account for the insurance is much less. And so people like to do these put debit spreads because They get some of the downside protection, though not completely, with a little bit less of the insurance drag that usually can hinder a long protective put strategy right out of the gate. The third way that you can do this, and we've talked about this on a number of podcasts before, is to do a collar. And so a collar strategy is a strategy where you sell a call option and you use the premium from selling a call option, effectively one side of the option chain selling the covered call. But you don't just keep that premium in your bank. You use that premium to go out and purchase a put option on the stock. So the reason it's called a collar, the way I think about it is because you're taking a position on both sides, kind of strangling or you know collaring around the stock price. So if the stock is at $100, you might sell the 105 call and try to buy the 90 strike put, something like that. We always prefer that you try to do the collar as costless as possible. If you sell the call option, that's 105 strike and you bring in 70 cents of premium, you use that 70 cents to buy a put option for 70 cents or to buy a put option for 69 cents and still do it for maybe costless or around costless, maybe small credit, small debit. You're trying to reduce the drag on the portfolio as much as possible. Now, the downside obviously to this type of strategy is because you're doing a portion of a covered call, you reduce a little bit of the upside potential in the stock in exchange, obviously, for protecting some of the downside risk. So that's basically the four ways you can try to protect your portfolio. Now, there's a lot of research on each of these, but what we want to dig into is kind of the first couple, which is how do you protect with the protective put strategy, the collar, and the put spread of these four potentials. We know that stop losses are pretty easy. We know generally for options trading, they don't work, but for a stock position, maybe it works for you. So the first one that we're going to link up to in the show notes is a research study that was done out of Europe. Most of these research studies that we're going to link up to were done on major indexes. I think that you know it is what it is. got to take it with a grain of salt. It wasn't done on a broad scope of underlying securities and ETFs, but using it on a major index or a series of major indexes, I think it's fine for the purposes of our discussion. And I think kind of 
highlight some of the points that we've already seen ourselves in some of the long put option research that we've done here at Option Alpha. So the first one that we link up to had a number of different points that I thought were interesting. And I'm just going to kind of go through some of these so you guys get an idea of what I took out of the research and what would be potentially helpful for you. Now, before I jump into that, I just want to give you a little bit of a highlight as to how they set up their testing. And I thought this was good because their rationale for testing was try to test different ways of doing these strategies and different cost profiles. So something that was very simple, but maybe costly, something that was a little bit more complex, but was lower cost and try to test different variations among this. So some of the testing that they did were just outright protective puts, buying long out of the money put options 5% below where the stock was, buying put spreads where you were buying a 5% out of the money put and shorting a 20% out of the money put, another put spread where you were buying a 5% out of the money and shorting the 15% out of the money put, another put spread where you were buying the at the money put and shorting the 10% out of the money put. So again, just trying to figure out is there a sweet spot where you're buying put spreads you know, really far out on the option pricing chain? Do you buy it closer in? Then they tested different color variations where you're buying a call option 5% or selling a call option 5% above the market, buying a put option 5% below, et cetera. And then they also tested kind of like fractional protective puts where instead of just buying one protective put, maybe you bought a fraction of a protective put based on your position size, things like that. And same thing with fractional put spreads. So buying fractional position sizes, do you protect the whole thing? Or maybe there's some fraction where you protect 80% of your position with a protective put. Does that do better than trying to protect 100% and using that its entire cost? So I thought that there was a lot of good ways in which they set up this particular research report, which is why I think you guys would find it helpful and why we're bringing it here on the podcast. One of the things they found is that although reducing the equity position is probably more effective generally than buying options, they did actually find that the collar strategy where you bought a 5% out of the money put and you sold the 5% out of the money calls has one of the most attractive risk reward profiles and actually did a pretty decent job in protecting the downside. And so what this means is that they found a lot of these long strategies where you were still net buying options really didn't do a good job protecting the stock position. In fact, it created too much of a portfolio drag to the point at which when the time came that the insurance was actually used, you probably spent a lot of money trying to protect the portfolio during periods where it didn't need protection. And so what they found is that in many cases, just simply reducing your equity position, so selling your stock as it starts to go higher and slowly buying it back as it starts to go lower, was more effective in many cases than going out and trying to protect this whole underlying position, except for when you started to use a collar strategy. Now, they didn't specifically use a collar strategy that said you had to have a net premium or had to be cost less for the collar strategy. I would say that's a good target. All they did in their research was say 5% above for selling the call, 5% below for buying the put option. If it was a little debit, fine. If it was a little credit one time, fine. Just trying to make it as systematic as possible. And it did create some of the best risk reward profiles and actually started to hedge during the downside. Now, I think this worked well because it was mostly cost less probably cost some money in some periods, probably was a credit in some other periods. But this exchange in the risk profile of giving up some of the upside potential in exchange for reducing some of the downside risk 
is something that we find often in trading and strategies that work well. This idea that you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? If you're going to give up some of the upside potential by selling the call option, it needs to be offset by the fact that you're going to reduce risk on the downside when the stock starts to move lower. And that's what they found. So I thought that was interesting. They did test a number of combinations with the put spreads. What they did find, although less effective than the collar strategy, was that long puts 5% out of the money and wide put spreads where you were 5% out of the money on the long options and then 20% on the short options. So really far out, really wide, basically super tail end exposure when you were either buying puts or doing put spreads ended up performing the best of these strategies. Again, to me, this is no big surprise. And if you've been following this podcast and what we do here at Option Alpha, this should come as no surprise. We consistently find in our research and now in other research as well, that the at the money and near at the money options are highly priced for implied volatility risk premium, which means that you make more money selling near at the money strikes than you do buying. And so it's no surprise to me that although the long put buying strategies and put spreads generally did bad, the ones that did less worse were when you went really far out on the option pricing chain and bought put options really far out in distance or your spreads were really far below the market. And that to me just shows again, this idea that the at the money contracts are probably well overpriced and out of the money contracts or tail risk in markets is probably underpriced. Something that we talked about in the interview with Richard Hudson and also the follow-up discussion that we had on implied volatility last week. And so they found as well that these long 5% out of the money puts and then really wide spreads did pretty well in addition to the collar. Basically, they did less worse than some of the other ones. They did find this over different rolling periods to be the same. So they basically found that it didn't really matter in this case, whether you were doing it one month, three months, six months, or 12 months out, that generally this thought process of buying the further out strikes and doing your protection further down the option pricing chain on the put side had a pretty decent impact across all these different periods. So that was good. That was reconfirming. You know, a lot of people say, well, you know, maybe you only buy put protection, you know, a week or a couple of weeks out, or no, you have to buy put protection six months or 12 months out. In this case, it really didn't make a significant difference whether you did it one, three, six, 12 months out. It ultimately ended up working out, you know, better to do something a little bit further down the option pricing chain. Now, when it came to the actual simple protective put strategy where you're just buying an out of the money put option. What I thought was one thing that was really interesting is that they said that the protective put obviously was bad. It's just too costly. It really had too much of a drag on the portfolio. The total weight of just buying a simple put option really drug down the returns. But when they dug deeper into it, what they saw was that there was slightly better improvement in performance and a slightly better sharp ratio when you actually initiated that protected put option strategy 12 months out versus progressively entering that strategy at shorter duration, say one or three months. Now, this is interesting because basically what they're saying is, look, if you're going to use a protected put strategy, it's going to drag the portfolio down. But if you just have this itch and inclination that you want to use it, you have to use it, even though the research really says it's not the best thing, you're probably better off using it 12 months out or a longer dated put option that gives you more protection for a longer period of time than you are to come in closer to where the market is and consistently repeat and buy this insurance on a one or three month rolling basis. Now, it's funny because when you actually look at spreads, 
they found that there was better risk-adjusted returns, lower cost, and better performance. Again, still not as great as doing a collar or in many cases, just fractionally getting out of shares. But the spreads did actually better in the one to three-month range. And so what you're seeing now is this divergence in performance where if you're going to go super long put options, you might want to go further out in time. If you're going to do spreads and use put spreads, then put spreads that are shorter in duration, say one or three months, did a little bit better. And we found this across, or they found this across the uh, spectrum of trading that they saw. To wrap up this one, they did find obviously that the collar did the best across not only a wide range of metrics, but was also low cost. It was better to keep the collars kind of medium dated contracts. So it's funny. It's like it's like the three little bears. I feel like with this thing, it's like you know the long puts were you know too aggressive and the short spreads were you know not aggressive enough. And then you have these collars, which are kind of middle of the road, did really well in the three to six month range. If you went out to the twelve month contracts you probably capped your upside potential in the stock too much is what they found. And I would probably agree with that. I think 12 months out for a caller strategy is probably too far because you don't know how far and how fast the stock might move in 12 months. And you don't want to cap yourself for an entire year's period. So I thought it was very interesting, especially for the callers, that this three to six month range actually ended up performing well. Maybe one month is too close didn't give you enough protection to the downside versus three to six months was kind of a sweet spot, middle of the road, the happy medium, you know, kind of like the mild porridge, I guess you could call it. All right. So changing gears here a little bit, we are going to talk about the next researcher paper, which I thought was a really good one. This one comes from AQR, great research report on the pathetic protection of protective puts. I thought that was a really interesting title. They tested this just on the S&P 500 and the CBOE index, which was the PPUT is the ticker symbol for this. We talked about this in a number of podcasts before. The CBOE indexes are great third-party validation for a lot of strategies that are out there. So you can just freely you know, go and download the data and test all this stuff yourself. But you can see how different, very simple option strategies would perform. Again, take it with a grain of salt. It's just on one index. It doesn't mean that this should be used across all the indexes and all the products you trade, but it gives us a good frame of reference to say, okay, this is generally what works and you know, is this different from what we've heard or seen in other sources? So the AQR research goes through the CBOE put protection index, which is buying 5% out of the money puts on the S&P 500. Again, very similar strategy to what we saw in the last research report. But this strategy uses short-dated options specifically that continue to renew every so often. So they just continue to roll these things all the time. What they basically found in this was that investing 36.5% of your capital in the S&P and holding 63.5% in cash provided the exact same return as using the protective put strategy. I'm going to say this again because I think that this was really important. Basically, what they found is that the protective put strategy was so bad that if you wanted to replicate a protective put strategy, which was buy the index and then which was buy the index with 100% of your money and then use a fraction of it to buy this protective put strategy, it was so bad that you got the same performance as if you had just invested basically a little over a third of your capital in the S&P and held the rest in cash. Now, this to me is fascinating because when I think about this on the options trading side, what we've talked about a lot here at Option Alpha is this idea that when you're trading something, you don't have to always invest your full account balance to generate decent returns. And in this case, you could have done way better if you're worried about downside risk, just investing half of your money in the S&P and letting the other half stay in cash. 
Now, could you have tracked exactly the market? Probably not, but you probably would have had dramatically less risk and less volatility in your account as a result of just having half of it invested. But what we do find here is that using a protected put strategy, whereby you think you're getting all this protection, actually ends up cutting you down at the knees to such a low level that you're better off just not using it, period. Just totally not using it at all because using it really cuts down your capital by a significant chunk. When they looked over a 250-day horizon, they found that the first percentile drawdowns were about 34% for their protective put strategy. And when you didn't use the protective put strategy, it was about a 13% drawdown for just using a regular diversified index portfolio. Again, size to earn similar returns, if you were just divesting your position you had significantly better drawdown protection than buying put options in the presence of significantly higher implied volatility. And so what this means is that if you are fearful of the stock going down, not only did AQR find this, but also the other research report that we mentioned, they found that it was better just to sell some of your stock position or to use a collar strategy. But to go out and to say, I'm going to go out and buy protection and try to jump ahead of some spike in implied volatility really just didn't work out. And they found in many cases that that really actually kind of hampered returns because not only is it hard to predict when volatility will spike, but it's also hard to predict to what range or what level volatility will spike. And so many times these contracts either expired worthless or expired very, very far out of the money, which resulted in just a major drag in performance. So I thought these two research reports were probably the best representation of what we continue to find with put option strategies, which is that it's really overpriced premium at the money strikes, meaning that it's better to be an option seller. And the out of the money strikes for put options are probably underpriced by some margin. They're not pricing in the tails appropriately. But the question is always, how long can you go buying those out of the money put option contracts before one pays off? So how many times can you strike out before you hit a home run? And in many cases, it might be months or years of striking out and just outlaying capital every month or every couple months before you finally hit a big home run. This is why I think, if, especially if you're a stock investor, just simply selling part of your position or using a collar strategy, which is cost less or close to cost less, is probably one of the better things you can do because it doesn't force you to drag the portfolio down with the cost of insurance. Now, we will link up in the show notes some other references and resources that are out there. I don't think they're worth going over and spending time on the podcast here covering them, but some of the other stuff that we found out there from a bunch of different resources took these protected put strategies and analyzed them just a little bit different, sometimes a little bit different timelines or different setups that they use. I think those all really good research that you can dig into. And again, we'll link everything up in the show notes page over at optionalpha.com slash show 176. Now, before we get into the trade Q&A segment, I wanted just to briefly talk about some of the research that we were doing and have continued to do on long put option strategies. This is part of our research roadmap that we have to continue to roll out new and updated research. We did it on covered calls. We're starting to do it on long calls and long puts. Then we'll come back around and do more short calls and short puts and then continue to fill out the roadmap of research with spreads and things like that. One of the graphics that we put up on Facebook, and this was back in March, and we'll link up to this in the show notes or put this graphic in the show notes for you guys, was a graphic that basically 
had a scatter plot of all of the long put option strategies that we've tested so far. So we've done about 97,000 different back tests in long put option strategies. And as you know, we do a wider breadth of testing here at Option Alpha. It's not just on the S&P. We try to test a good basket of not only ETF symbols, but regular stock symbols, just to see what are the commonalities across all of these different ticker symbols. Can we find you know common threads that say this is generally better than that guidepost that we can potentially use? And this to me was a really interesting graphic that the team came up with because what it shows is that it shows that effectively 92% of the time where you were buying a long put option strategy on a consistent framework really ended up losing money. A lot of the time, it was not only losing money, but below a 50% win rate. And you can visually see this in the graphic when you go to the show notes page. Sometimes you were above a 50% win rate, so you won you know, more often than you lost, but you still lost money. And that's really disconcerting. And this was, again, 92% of the time you lost on this strategy. The 7.5% of the time, 7.8% of the time that you won when you were trading long put options, about 5% of that time, so of the 7.8% where you won money trading long put options, 5% of that you had win rates well under 50%. And this to me means that it's still not generally effective because even though you might have won, there is no saying that you could have gone, say, 40 expiration periods of outlaying a couple hundred dollars on the way to getting that one huge home run that could have come. You might have gone 60 or 70 periods of just consistently losing And I don't know how many people would go four to five years of losing every single month and be still in the strategy, have enough courage and enough persistence to still let it go through to the end. In fact, I'd say almost nobody. So that to me, even though statistically 5% of the strategies won and had win rates below 50%, that to me is really a throwout. Nobody in their right mind is going to go five years of outlaying money, 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 money on all these ticker symbols to potentially have it take four to five years for one big home run to come. You're just going to quit too early. And I know this to be true because people quit oftentimes after just a single month of losing trades or after two months of losing trades, which is far too short of a timeline anyway. So what we ultimately ended up seeing in the long put options that we tested so far is about almost about 3%, a little under 3% of the long put options that we tested were not only profitable, but then had win rates above 50%. And that's a very small fraction of the put option universe. And we tested lots of different variations for time and exit point and entry point, stop losses, profit taking, you name it. And so we'll continue to roll some of this out. We're not completely done with this. We're now starting the next phase of this, which is starting to overlay some indicators and start to figure out, okay, is there a time period which once we start entering these systematic trades, you know, when the stock crosses below or above a 200-day moving average, does it have to do with volatility? Do we enter these trades when the VIX is low or high? Do we enter trades when individual stock volatility is low or high? Does that have any correlation to improve performance? And so We're starting to do the next iteration of this, but I felt like this was important to get out there that especially what we found in protective put strategies or just long put options in general is that the vast majority of them are are useless and really kind of drag down. And we saw this not only with other research we covered today, but just the research we did here at Option Alpha that it really, really is hard to get these long put option strategies to work. It is by no means an easy thing just to throw a dart at the option trading board and say, oh, I'm going to 
use a protected put strategy, it's actually very hard probably to find one that actually works and works at a level that's sustainable for your portfolio, i.e. 50% win rates or higher. So hopefully this helps out. As always, we'll continue to update you guys on more research as we get it out here with the long put options and all the other research that we do as we've done over the last couple of podcasts. So let's get into today's Q&A segment with David. And now our favorite part of the show, Trader Q&A, where we ask a question from one of our current members about options trading. Got a question you'd like to ask Kirk to answer live on the air? Just head on over to optionalpha.com forward slash ask and hit the record button to leave a message. That's optionalpha.com forward slash ask. And now here's today's question. Hi, Kirk. My name is David and I'm from Utah. I've been trading options for about a year now and I had a question regarding strategies when rolling the options forward. At what point before expiration do you start to look to implement that type of strategy? Thanks for all you do. All right. Hey, David, thank you so much for submitting your question. And this is an important one because not only do we come up on expiration every month and everyone has to deal with expiration every month, but the question on when to make adjustments and specifically when to roll positions is always tough. My thought process on this is the following. We generally like to give stocks as much time as they need to make a move. We know that when we enter a position 50 or 60 days from expiration, we're likely to be challenged on that position half of the time probably. And so that means that half of the time, we'll probably hold a paper loss at some point in the expiration cycle. And so we can't be so overly anxious to adjust positions when they just start out and they're in the first stages of the expiration cycle. So my thought process is to use kind of a rough guideline as saying, we don't start adjusting positions until we get into the month of expiration. So right now it is April. And so if we have any positions that are May, if they start to go against us, we won't adjust them until we get into the month of May. Because at that point, we need to give the position enough time to work itself out. We could get challenged early and then the position could come right back around. We don't need to be so jumpy with our positions. In fact, most of the time, we just need to be a lot more patient with our positions. So once we get into the month of May or the month of expiration that those contracts are expiring, then we can start to go through the process of making adjustments and rolling. My personal preference on this is that we adjust first. So we try to manage and adjust the position in the current expiration month that it's in. And if that doesn't work, then the last week or two weeks before expiration, we start the process of rolling. And the reason I like to do it that way is because I don't want to default to pushing the trade out to the next month. Because although it's cool to push a trade out to the next month and have more time, when you push a trade out to the next month, as we saw in the last podcast talking about volatility and time and how it impacts options, you're basically slowing down the time decay and the volatility impact. You're kicking the ball out to the next month, which is great. But if the stock moves in the right direction, you're not going to have that quick reversal in the option premium that you would have otherwise had in the front month. So this is the trade-off. And I don't like to kick a position out to the next month and punt the ball to the next month until I feel like I've done everything I can do in the current month to save the position. So this is why when the stock gets into the month that it's going to expire or the contracts get into the month that they are going to expire, we start to make adjustments. We roll positions closer. We go inverted. We roll down or up different strikes and legs. We try to do everything we can do current month. Then the last week or two, if the stock still isn't behaving the way that we wanted it to or the position still not working out the way that we wanted it to, 
we try to entertain rolling the position to next month. At that point, you've given it enough time. You've made adjustments in the current month. So the next best thing you can do is try to punt the ball out and give yourself more time. And I think that's when you start making those decisions. So again, just to very clearly answer your question, when do I start considering rolling strategies forward? I start that process one to two weeks before expiration. And to me, I only would try to do that on things that are really, really far away from their profit zone. So if something is close to the profit zone, it's right on the edge, it's marginal, and there's two weeks to go until expiration, I probably won't roll it. I'll probably give it a day at a time. I'll just take it one day at a time. If the stock still is moving in the right direction and could turn into a profitable trade or it's right on the edge, I'm not going to just default to throw it out to the next expiration period. I would probably look to roll contracts out to the next expiration period that are, say, $10 away from where they should be, right? I mean, it's got a wider gap to cover. And so at that point, yeah, it may not take two weeks. It may take four weeks or five weeks. So yeah, let's kick the trade, roll it out to the next expiration if we can and give ourselves some more time. So hopefully it helps out. As always, if you want to get your question answered here on the podcast, simply head on over to optionoff.com slash ask and click the big red button in the middle of the screen, just like David did, and send me a private voicemail. Again, there's no software to download or install, and it's very, very easy. So let's get into the closing bell segment where we're going to discuss a new trade that we're making today in OIH. Now, the closing bell. Find out which stocks we're looking at right now. Trades we're making, and hear our game plan moving forward. All right, so new trade we're making today on OIH is not a brand new entry, but it's actually an adjustment. And I wanted to go over this because I thought it was relevant to what we were talking about just now in the Trader Q&A segment with David, this idea of when to roll out a position to the next expiration. So what we actually ended up doing today is we actually ended up rolling out our OIH position from the April contracts out to the May contracts. And at the time that we're recording this right now, the April contracts have about nine days to go until expiration. And so this is that window where I said, you know, it's obviously close to expiration and we're starting to run out of time. How can we give ourselves more time to be right on this position? And at this point, we don't need to, nor could we make a really valid adjustment to this OIH position. So the best decision is to roll it out to the next month and give ourselves some time. In this case, we had the April short put spread in OIH, which was selling the fives and buying the $3 strikes in OIH. This gave us a net credit when we first got into the position of on the OIH spread, a little bit about 58 cents or so. So we had a decent credit. We knew that OIH was range bound to the downside, at least right now, before it goes through any possible reverse splits in the future or something, it was range bound. And so we sold a bunch of put spreads, hoping that OIH would either stabilize or move higher. Well, it really hasn't done either of those. It's kind of just been trading around this same range every single day. It's either up 3% or down 3%, it seems like, with all the oil volatility. So we want to give ourselves more time. And so what we're doing is we're rolling the entire put spread position from April to May. And this is simply done in your brokerage account by closing out the April contracts and reopening the same strikes, same number of contracts out in the May expiration. Now we use a vertical roll order for this inside Thinkorswim. Some brokers have the ability to do this in one full order. So we can do all four of these legs. We buy back the five short puts. We sell back the long puts at three for April, and then we resell the five short puts in May and we repurchase the three long puts in May as well. We can do this all in one order called a vertical roll. 
and we're doing this all our net credits for everything of seven cents. So after all the buying and selling across everything, we're collecting a net credit on each of these that we're rolling out of seven cents. So effectively we're paying for the roll and for the additional time. Now that to me is a big important point. And we've talked about this often before that I personally will never roll a contract for a debit because I don't see any benefit to paying money to extend the trade. At that point, it's probably too far out that you could just readjust your prices and strikes and have a better trade set up in the next month and take the loss now versus trying to take a bigger loss in the future by paying a debit and forcing yourself into a bigger risk position just for the sake of being airfinger quote right on the position later on. In this case, with the vertical roll in OIH, we're getting paid a net credit to roll these positions out to next month, and we're getting an extra 30 days. So it's not a big position for us. We've got 10 contracts on this, so 10 spreads that we're trading. And so if we can roll all of these contracts out for a simple credit and reduce risk, we're going to do that, and it gives us a little bit more time to be right on the position. Thanks for listening to the Option Alpha podcast. If you liked what you heard, please drop by iTunes and leave a rating or comment. Plus, you can get everything. Free email updates for future shows, transcripts, video tutorials, case studies, and more. Just visit our website at optionalpha.com. All right, so that's a wrap for this week's podcast episode here at Option Alpha. But again, before you go, let's keep the conversation going. Please connect with me on your favorite social media platform. Let me know what questions, ideas you have, thoughts that came to mind after listening to today's show on the protective put strategy. Also, I want to let you know what we've got coming up next week and what we've been working on. Next week on the podcast, we're going to be talking all things index options. So if you have questions about index options, you definitely want to pay attention to next week's podcast because we're going to be diving deep into index options. And then also just as a reminder, every Sunday night, we have strategy calls with elite members. So if you want to join our elite program, you want to upgrade and participate in some of these strategy calls, it's a really, really fun time period that we do every Sunday night at nine o'clock where we go through all the positions in our portfolio, kind of talk shop on what we're going to do this week, what we have coming up, what potential adjustments are we looking at, what positions could we potentially roll, how could we reformat our beta-weighted portfolio to get more neutral around the market. So as always, if you want to join those, just go on over to optionoff.com and check out the elite section for the strategy calls. Hope you guys truly enjoyed this episode as always and got at least one thing out of it that you can apply right now to help you consistently play smarter, more profitable trades. And until next time, happy trading.